get around people that uh, know God better than I know God. You ever been around somebody that they you, you're just like, hmm, that's another level. <laughs> they know God better than I know God. You know, it doesn't make me feel bad. What it does is it provokes me. It compels me to press into his presence any, even more because I know, hey, if they can know God like that, so can I. I can know him better. I feel like the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, 10, that I may know him. That should be all of our hearts cry. That should be our desire that we will know him more and more and and more. As a matter of fact, let's look over there. I don't really have a lot of outline tonight. We're just going to, I got some scriptures down. We're going to follow the Holy Ghost and we're going to have a time. Amen. You can't go wrong following the Holy Ghost. Philippians chapter three, verse 10, I believe it is. And I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. Not, well, actually it's verse 12. Not that I have now attained this idea or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, to grasp and to make my own that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me and made himself my own. Hallelujah. Is that your cry? I press on to know him, to lay hold, to grasp that for which Christ Jesus has called me to. Every single one of us are called, anointed, and appointed for this hour. We have come into the kingdom for such a time as this, and such a time that it is. Things are heating up in the world. We were just talking to a friend of ours, Reverend Joe Morse, that was here. We're going to try to have him back in the church sometimes, but this guy does a lot on end-time teaching, and I'm telling you, things are heating up. Something is on the horizons and about to happen between Israel and Iran. And soon and very soon, Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. And in the meantime, we're not supposed to just be kind of going through our life lackadaisical. We're supposed to grasp why we are here. What is his plan? What is his purpose for us? Well, number one is to know him. It's to know him so we can show him. It's to serve him. It's to be a light. It's to be a witness that Jesus is the answer for what the world needs. Amen. I love the fact about, I was thinking about David this week. because She was mentioning quite a bit about him. David, he could have been like the Old Testament Paul. Paul was writing here that I need to know the Lord even more. And David, throughout the Psalms, he repeatedly would say, Oh, I need to seek the Lord. I need to inquire of the Lord. He knew something about God's presence and he wasn't even born again. But yet there was such a hunger on the inside of him and such enlightenment in his heart that he knew whatever he faced, the answer for it was in God. I mean, when his enemies would come against him, he didn't try to whoop them in his own natural ability and his own natural strength every single time. The Bible says he sought the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. 
We heard about the Philistines last week, a couple of different times, how they kept coming and they kept coming and they kept coming after David. And then finally, David was king. And you would have thought that if David whipped them when he was a shepherd boy, (laughs) cut off Goliath's head, when David took care of business, when he was running from Saul, you would have think that they would have had enough sense to know now that he's king, that he's not going to be, they're not going to be able to defeat them. But last week as we were looking at that passage in Samuel, it just kind of came up in my heart. These guys were big in the natural, but they apparently had small brains because they just kept coming. And every time they came, God gave David the strategy to whoop up on them. And did you know that every time a giant faces you, every time the enemy rises up against you and raises up his ugly head, if we'll do what David did, if we'll seek the Lord, if we'll inquire of him, he'll show us how to defeat him every time. Satan is already defeated because of the work of the cross. But we as Christians, we have to enforce his defeat. And we have to have the mind of the Lord in every situation. You know, the same kind of a problem can crop up in your life, but it's not always going to be turned around the same way. The Lord knows the how. He knows the when because he is the who. But we got to ask him. We have to inquire of him. Psalms chapter 27. And up there, guys, I'm going to read this one in the King James, but most of the passages tonight we're going to look at in the Amplified. Psalms 27, 4 in the King James Version. Praise the name of the Lord. You know, we didn't come tonight just because it was a religious thing to do. I know many of you have been in church a lot this week, but I'm always glad. Are you always glad? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Every time we come together, we ought to be expecting to hear from heaven. Getting something that will help us. Psalms 27.4 in King James, it says, One thing have I desired of the Lord. Everybody say one thing. David didn't say a million things. Have I desired of the Lord? If you were to ask Christians today, many Christians, what do you desire of the Lord? The list would be so long we'd be here for an hour. Well, I need a new house. I need a new car. I need a new job. I'd like some new clothes. A lot of material things. And God said he'd meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So that's fine. But the deal is this, guys. Matthew 6, 33. Seek what? Seek you first the kingdom of God. Then what's going to happen? All these things will be added unto us. What are we supposed to seek first? We're supposed to seek the kingdom of God. We're supposed to seek Jesus. And again, David, even under the old covenant, had this revelation. One thing have I desired. And what was that that he desired? That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
Now let's look at it in the amplified version. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek, inquire for, and insistently require that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence. See, that even makes it more defined. In the, in the King James, it says to dwell in his house. The Amplified says, I'm seeking, I'm inquiring, I require to dwell in his presence. The word seek there is an interesting word. It implies a quest for God that includes a level beyond what might be termed ordinary. It suggests an earnestness that borders on desperation. It's not just an ordinary, well, you know, I need a new pair of shoes. So I'm going to go to the mall and seek and search for this cute little pair of shoes. No, he said, it's a desperate cry of my heart. I require to be in God's presence. And then it goes on and says, all the days of my life to behold and to gaze upon the beauty, the sweet attractiveness and the delightful loveliness of the Lord and to meditate and consider and inquire in his temple. Does that sound like someone whose heart was after God. Another passage in Psalm, he says, as the deer panteth after the water, so my soul, O Lord, pants after you. It was his necessary requirement to be in God's presence. And in that presence, he received not only answers to problems, But he received that spirit of power and that spirit of might. David honored the Shekinah glory. And God called him a man after his heart. You know why David was a man after God's heart? He knew God's heart. He had fellowshiped with him. He had acquainted himself with the Lord his God. Now, there's another passage we want to look at over in Chronicles. I'll give you a little background. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15, this gives us the background of when the Ark of the Covenant was being returned to Jerusalem. It had been in enemy hands, and then it had been in another man's house. But David so honored the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. And it, in those days, it was shut up. It was in that ark. The ark of the covenant contained the presence of God, and it was stored in the holy of holies. And, and no one could even touch that ark that hadn't gone through the proper proper ritual and the cleansing. Only the priest could touch it. One man, he wasn't a bad man. They were bringing it back and he reached out to touch it and he fell over dead. Why is that? Because God's presence can't be touched by an unholy thing. They weren't born again. They didn't have God on the inside of them. God wasn't trying to be mean. That's just the way it is. But David yearned for this ark, the Shekinah glory, 
to be brought back to the rightful owners. And there's other passage. It doesn't talk about it in this particular one, but there's other passages that give the description of that day when the ark began to come. And David was so happy. He was so thrilled that God's presence once again was going to dwell among his people. That the Bible says he danced, he leaped, he shouted. I mean, he danced so hard. He literally danced his shouting clothes off. Wow. And his wife was looking on the scene and she made fun of him. And she says, oh, here you are, the king. And you look, what are you doing out there dancing like a fool? You look probably dancing like a fool with your pants on the ground. Because, I mean, his, his robe, everything fell off as he praised the Lord and danced before him with all of his might. But you know what? God didn't side in with his wife and say, yeah. You are not very dignified today. You should not have been acting that way. No, God judged her for judging David for rejoicing and dancing before the Lord. And her womb was closed up. She became barren. But God blessed David. Hallelujah. And he he said to her that day, he said, you think I was acting up today? He said, I'm going to be more vile than this because God's presence. Woo! God's presence is back in our midst and I'm happy about it and I'm going to rejoice about it. You know what? God likes it when we get happy in his presence. There's all sorts of different expressions when we're in God's presence. There's a time where we're just waiting quietly upon him. But there's also a time just to get down with your bad self because you are happy about what God has done in your life. Think about this. God chose Israel. He chose the Jewish people to be his people. And one reason that he picked them is they were an expressive bunch. They got happy. They danced. They shouted. They leaped. They ran. They got sad. They ripped their clothes and they wailed and did all sorts of things. But God liked the fact that they would express how they felt about him. That they weren't afraid to lift their hands. They weren't afraid to shout. They weren't afraid to magnify the name of the Lord, their God. He wanted a group of people that would praise the name of the Lord. That didn't have a little silent praise in their heart. These people were wild. These people got into it. And God was glad about it. And he was happy that David was happy about the Ark of the Covenant coming home. Now let's pick up this story in First Chronicles chapter 16. And now we'll look at these va- uh, passages in the Amplified. Actually, First Chronicles 16, verse 1 and 2. Let's get over there. Hallelujah. So they brought the ark of God and they set it in the midst of the tent, which David had pitched for it. And they burnt And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name 
of the Lord. Now let's skip on down to verse four. This is really quite an amazing story. I love to just read this whole chapter sometime. He appointed the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to celebrate by calling to mind thanksgiving and praising the Lord, the God of Israel. So I picked out the tribe of the Levites, the priests. And he said, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to just stand there and praise and thank the Lord for what he has done. Anybody got anything to praise and thank the Lord for? It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to bless his holy name. Now look on down here, verse seven. Then on that day, David first entrusted to Asaph and his brethren the singing of thanks to the Lord as their chief task. That was their job. He says, okay, everybody's going to have a job in the house of the Lord. Asaph, you and your brethren, your job is going to be to sing and to thank the Lord. If I would have been there, I wouldn't have gotten that job. But you know, I can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Hallelujah. It was their chief task to sing and to thank the Lord. He wanted there to be an atmosphere where that ark was, where that tent of meeting was. He wanted that atmosphere charged with praise unto the Lord. You know, one thing that praise does, the Bible says praise steals the enemy. That's why the enemy tries to keep your mouth shut. You know, he loves to get us to talk when we shouldn't talk. Talk, 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 talk about the problem. Talk, talk, talk about people. And then when it comes to speaking the word or magnifying God, it's like you get locked jaw and your mouth just won't open. What is that? That's the devil. He, God intends for us to praise the name of the Lord. When we come together, when we're in our car, when we're at home, when we're certainly in the temple of the Lord. What does the Bible say? And in this temple, doth everyone speak of his glory. That's why David was appointing this, these people. He wanted that atmosphere charged with how marvelous God is. As a matter of fact, let's look at verse 8. I like just reading the word tonight. Like I said, I don't have a lot of notes. We're going to look at the word and we're going to be blessed. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his doings among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Meditate on and talk of all his wondrous works and deeds Praise him, glorify his name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. I particularly like that. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness. Of joy. If you are a seeker of God, if you're spending time in his presence, your heart is going to rejoice. Your heart is going to be glad. You cannot hang out in the presence of God and come away going, oh, I just spent an hour with God and I feel terrible. My head hurts. 
my back hurts, my stomach aches. I went in there feeling pretty good, but now I got all these horrible symptoms and I feel so down. No way. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He never makes us sad, makes us sad. Even when he's bringing correction in our life, it's not to make us sad. It's to make us glad. We might be, not be so happy at the moment, but if we'll receive that instruction and that correction later on, we're going to be glad, glad, glad. Woo. Hallelujah. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice and be glad. And then he said, what are they supposed to make known? What are they supposed to meditate on? His wondrous work. His wondrous works. He told them, I want you to remind the people. I want you to talk about how great God is. When the people come, I want you to rehearse how God split the Red Sea for us. I want you to rehearse how he brought us out of Egypt with silver and with gold. And there wasn't one feeble person among our tribes. I want you to rehearse that every time an enemy came up against us, that God fought the battle for us. And he always caused us to win. I want you to rehearse to the people. And I want you to tell the little children that our God is the most high God and there is no other God. Our God is the only true and living God. And our God does wondrous deeds. Our God will move heaven and hell to get to us what we need. Our God will provide food for us in a wilderness. Hallelujah. Our God does everything we need him to be. Wondrous deeds. Talk about it. Not talking about how bad things are. Not talking about how huge the problem and the giant is. Not talking about how big the devil is. We don't come together in the name of the Lord to magnify the devil. The devil is defeated. And we don't give him any praise, honor, or glory. He doesn't deserve it. We are going to be like the little lady in the testimony service. Anybody grow up in a Pentecostal church like me every Sunday night? Testimony service. A lot of the people, the only thing they would get up and say is, I want to thank the Lord. I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, thank God for it. But sometimes they get their praises mixed up. One little lady got up and she said, Oh, the devil has been after me all week. Bless his holy name. Well, no. We're not going to, the devil's name is not holy and we're not going to bless it. We're going to magnify the wondrous works of our God. He's bigger. He's greater. Hallelujah. He's greater than any problem, any situation, any test, any trial. Woo! Nothing of the enemy that comes against us can defeat us if we will seek the Lord. Inquire of him. He will always provide the way of escape. 
He always gives us triumph. He always leads us in victory. Hallelujah. Then another thing that I liked about this passage of scripture. Down in verse uh, 12. Glory to God. He said. Earnestly remember the marvelous deeds which he has done. His miracles and the judgments that he uttered as in Egypt. Well, that was a good reminder. God brought them out of Egypt in style. And then it goes on and it says here in verse, let's see, I want to read some more verses. Verse 15. Be mindful of his covenant forever. The promise which he commanded and established to a thousand generations. Oh, there are so many passages in the Bible of God's faithfulness. And that was one thing that David was exhorting the people on this day. I want you to tell your children and you tell your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And some of them live so long, maybe your great-great-great-great-grandchildren. How awesome our God is. And I want you to tell them of his faithfulness. And he has been faithful to a thousand generations. If you weren't here last Sunday night, get that CD of Walker Shures. Oh my goodness. He was talking about how we can leave a legacy. And what God does in our lives, we may not even see everything that he has promised to us. But if we are faithful, our children and our children's children is going to walk in that inheritance. And that's what David was getting on the inside of them. God has been faithful and God will be faithful to a thousand generations. And then he said again, oh, magnify the Lord. Oh, seek the Lord. He loved to seek the Lord. He loved to magnify the Lord. And there's many places in the Bible that he exhorted us to do the same. We want to look at another one over in Psalms 105. Again, we'll look at these in the Amplified. Psalms 105, verse 3. Is anybody blessed? I'm blessed. The word of God makes me happy. Hallelujah. It ought to make you happy. If God was good to them, guess what? He's going to be good to us. Psalms 105. We're going to look at verse 3 and 4. But that part that I just quoted to you of how he brought them out of Egypt. You might want to read that sometime later too. That starts in like verse 28. It's awesome how he brought them out. But this is in verse 3. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those rejoice. Who do what? Who do what? Who seek and require the Lord as their indispensable. Oh, I like that. Indispensable necessity. Seek, inquire of, and for the Lord. And who I love this too. And crave him. His strength, his might, his inflexibility to temptation. Seek and require his what? His face. That even brings more clarity. His face and his presence continually evermore. 
You see some of the same passages that we just read over there in 1 Chronicles 16. That our hearts are going to rejoice if we seek the Lord. But here, I think it even points it out stronger. He said it, it's not just to inquire, but require as a necessity. God's presence. What does that word require mean? It means to be in need of, and then this other one, I like this, to call for as necessary. Is it necessary for us to have Jesus? Is it necessary for us to meditate on his precious word? Is it necessary for us to be in his presence? Is it necessary for us to come together in the house of the Lord with other believers? The Bible does say don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why is that? There's power in unity. There's something wonderful about the corporate anointing. It's great and we should do it. Seek the Lord in our individual lives. But I love it when we come together as a body of believers and we worship the Lord. We had awesome worship tonight. Worshiping the Lord in one accord. The power of God comes down when the praises go up. It's awesome to come together in corporate prayer. I like to pray by myself, but there is a different anointing that comes on me when we get together as believers and we all offer our supply and we all lift up our voice as one voice to seek the Lord. David knew that. A necessity is different than a luxury. He didn't say, oh, it's a luxury to be in God's presence. You don't have to have a luxury to survive. I hate to bust your bubble, but you don't have to have ice cream, cookies, and candy, and Dr. Pepper to survive. They are not a necessity to life. They're a luxury. And that's all I'm going to say about that because I like them too. But there are necessities for survival. Every human being has has to have water. We all have to have air. And we have to have some sort of lovely, nutritious food to survive. So David was saying here, the presence of God is not a luxury in our life. A luxury is something you can do without. But a necessity is something you require. You have to have it to survive. That ought to be our attitude about getting in God's presence. It is not a luxury. It's not anything I can do without. It's a necessity for me to seek the Lord, for me to inquire of him. If I want to live in this life as more than a conqueror and victorious in all the affairs, I'm going to have to be a seeker of God. It is absolutely necessary. Can I get an amen? Amen. Then I liked how it said here. That he said, I 
crave him. I crave him. We talked about some things that are luxuries, but, you know, I know I've got some friends in here, some women. How many women have here ever been pregnant? If you can remember way back when, (laughs) some of you. Sometimes there was a craving. And it craving, it didn't feel like a luxury. It was something you desired strongly. I don't think I was that bad, but I've heard tales of friends that in the middle of the night, two or three in the morning, I want ice cream. And their husband like, honey, it's two in the morning. No, you don't understand. Get me ice cream now. <laughs> it wasn't like something, oh, wouldn't it be nice? It sounds kind of good. It was get me the ice cream. That's what a craving is. A strong desire. That you feel like you can't live without. David said, I crave him more than anything else. I crave him more than popularity, more than fame, more than riches. I crave you, oh God. And he said, I crave him. And I crave, I find it interesting in this passage, I crave him and his strength. Have you ever felt weak? Have you ever felt insufficient? Have you ever felt that you didn't have the ability to make it through whatever you were facing? But aren't you glad when I am weak, He is strong. We want to look at one last passage over in Isaiah chapter 40. When I am weak, he is strong. Let's begin looking at verse 28. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your strength. Thank you, Lord, when I wait upon you, I mount up as wings as evil. In the Amplified, beginning at verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. There is no searching of his understanding. I am so thankful that every time I come into the presence of God He's there. He's there with open arms. God never has a bad day. God never has a day where he wakes up and says, Oh, you again? I am tired of you. You are wearing me down. You're getting on my last nerve. No, he never faints and he never grows weary, even of us. We don't tire him out. He doesn't get weary of hearing from you. He loves us. Hallelujah. Verse 29. He gives power to the faint and the weary. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
causing it to multiply and making it to abound. Even youth shall faint and be weary and selected young men shall feebly stumble and fall exhausted. This strength that God is talking about here, it has nothing to do with age, gender, or our physical ability. I think that's why he said here, even the youth will faint and become weary. One of the end time tactics of the devil is to wear out the saints. Hitting them here and hitting them there and pressure here and pressure there and the economy's bad. You got to work two and three jobs. You know what? It doesn't have anything to do with how old or how young you are. He's pointing out here. It's not a physical thing, but if you'll come into my presence, Oh, hallelujah. I will give power to the faint and to the weary. Verse 31. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect and look for and hope in him, they shall exchange. They shall change and renew. I read it like that because Patsy pointed out that word renew there means exchange. They shall change. And let's just look at it like that. And they shall exchange their strength and their power, which most of the time is zero. It's nothing. But what are we going to get? They shall lift, they shall lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles and mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint or become tired. Wow, that's great right there too. It's where is it? Those who wait upon the Lord. Those who are seekers of God. We don't have to go through life in our own natural ability. We can live in this covenant that we have with him. And he is a God of might. He is a God of strength. And he will anoint us with his strength, with his power, with his might, with his ability. If we'll do what? Wait in his presence. Of course, we're going to be tempted to be weary, to be tired, to be downtrodden, to be depressed. But what do we do? Do we just go and lay on our bed and just say, ah, I can't even, I can't even move. So I guess I'll just sit here all night, lay here all night and just watch all that garbage on TV. If you're weary and you're tired, that's the worst thing that you can do. If you can't get up and come to church even, which you should, but if you just can't even do that, put on some worship music. Put on the word of God. Saturate the atmosphere of your home with his presence. And while you're just waiting in his presence, there'll be a Holy Ghost infusion. Your strength, your weakness will leave you. And his strength will cause you to mount up with wings like eagles. If you weren't here Thursday morning, you may want to get that CD as well. I preached on that morning. But you know what? You're not a chicken. You're an eagle. He wants us to mount up with wings like eagles and to soar in what he has planned 
for us. It's available. It's available to those that will inquire of the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand.